0: this is a find here's a show that i was on maybe five years ago the greening out podcast i don't think it exists anymore it's got some good biographical information on how i ended up doing what i'm doing but from my perspective at an earlier time in my life i hope you enjoy
1: hi i'm dan green and welcome back to the greening out podcast today joining me is anthony samaroff anthony thanks for coming on the show
0: Thank you for having me on your show, Dan. It's really good to be here. Why don't you tell us about yourself and who you are? My name's Anthony Samroff. As you mentioned, what I'm sort of interested in doing is helping people improve their relationships with the people around them, and most importantly, themselves. And it really just depends from person to person what their needs are. I adapt to see how well I can facilitate their growth, really. It's them that does the
1: growing in the end and um, just to help her. Ah, interesting. So that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um kind of makes me think of like Buddhist idea of, you know, you have to do these things for yourself. That was an Alistair Crowley sort of he picked up on that as well, that sort of idea of each man must cut his own way through the jungle kind of thing. So I like how you say like how you're like a facilitator for them to do their own work. What kind of issues do you find that people are coming to you with like because you live in scotland like i do and Mm. it's taken this long to have a scottish person on the show Mm. that wasn't either me or katie so well i'm
0: honored to be the first
1: (laughs) yeah you are absolutely um what kind of problems are you like finding, I mean, because I'm wondering when I think about, because I do obviously not the same kind of work as you and I'm wondering if these are kind of spiritual crises maybe people are having, maybe they're not having crises at all, maybe that's just what I think maybe people would come to you for, crisis like spiritually, financially, are you seeing midlife crises or are you just maybe even seeing people who think they can do more but they're just stuck?
0: Before I sort of speak about the specific things that people come to me for, I guess it would be worthy to talk about the kind of people that come to me in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, Because you must know from, you know, doing a podcast, people resonate with your personality and they tend to come to your podcast rather than whatever else is out there because, you know, they like Dan Green, you know, So it's very much the same I find in my field. You get people who have a certain resonance with you that might never have considered counselling or coaching, but because you present a certain view of the world that they resonate with, they're drawn to you. In fact, I help other life coaches make more cash because I'm not really in competition with anyone else. What I'm trying to do is get the right clients for me. Um, will actually be there around for the people who consider me the right helper for, for them. And what I've found is that a lot of the time it tends to be pretty smart people who really just haven't had the quality of the attention that they might have benefited from and as children, now the, the funny thing is that probably applies to virtually everyone didn't get the quality of attention that they, they needed. But because they were particularly intelligent, it was even more d- detrimental in a way because they, they didn't have anyone to be a mentor to them. There's all these adults around them that maybe they intuited on a certain sense that they were more compassionate than, more intelligent than, than more more insightful than, and no one to actually give them a space to open up maybe not enough attention on their particular interests you know and people taking the time to actually find what was interesting to them and why but maybe kind of like a, a judgment like you know why are you spending so much time on the computer or in front of the television what people come to me for well I kind of really started out by getting into communication skills and improving relationships. I was looking for the right self-help answer to my own troubles for a long, long time and it wasn't sort of until I got into communication skills and improving relationships that I actually saw massive changes in my life because that really changed my relationship to myself I actually started to see my needs and feelings as valid or something that could provide me with interesting information or useful information that I could use to negotiate with the people around me and improve my relationships with them and help them improve the relationship with me. Very much in voluntarist principles and in, in my mind, you know, um, obviously us voluntarists, we we believe in the NAP, we, we we believe that you shouldn't aggress against other, other people. We could take that even further, you know, to sort of verbal aggression and, and the way that we relate in, in passive-aggressive ways or anything like that to actually have better relationships. So that helped me a lot. And it, by getting into communication skills, I also became a much better listener and I could really empathise with people a lot better and really connect with them and help them process their pain. Then, everything that I'd tried to learn before that, but I hadn't found really changed my life very much, such as you know looking at my childhood, the inner child work and stuff like that, really began to come into fruition and become helpful to other people because I could use that as a basis for 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 connecting with them. You know, I did a counseling qualification and a coaching qualification, and I go for training more and more to to keep up my skills but basically what happened back then even before I got those trainings is people started saying oh I've got a friend that could really benefit from speaking to you because you know you're on into all this stuff and you offer a good ear that gave way to sort of running workshops and things and then I knew that I had to this this was for me you know it felt really really good to help other people and um, that's when I thought that I should get official and start getting some uh, bits of paper to back up what I was doing. <laughs>
1: that's that's interesting actually, yeah. It's, it's interesting you bring it that way. <laughs> you mentioned bits of paper to back mm. up what you're doing. What kind of, like, where do you go for, what kind of training did you take?
0: Well, I did um, a very fundamental qualification ca- counselling skills in Edinburgh, and people can go and do postgraduate studies there. I also got training from an organisation called Parentline, For which was you know comparable. It was really really excellent because they take calls in all the time. So if you like, they're kind of more free market, even though it's a voluntary organisation, because they have to actually deal with the people that they train. Actually, have to deal with with people in the in the in the public. I've done various online courses, and before before I did any of this stuff, you know, I used to go on retreats and self help workshops and. All all sorts of interesting things for my own personal development. So I've learned from lots of different, uh, different teachers over time. And, um, yeah, to be honest, as you say, the bits and paper is kind of like a funny thing because what I've found is that it's really about working on yourself. And that is the currency for how much mileage you can get in helping with other people because I've heard some horror stories when people come to me from from counseling of of other counselors or therapists that they've gone to have actually invalidated them and things like that. And I'm sure there's lots of really amazing ones out there too, but it it really freaks me out that people can go through qualifications and still actually say things that wound people who are, who're vulnerable. But um you know, I think if you work on yourself you have to sort of become a healer in a way because you just get more empathy from your, you, you, from, from overcoming your pain. And even if that's in an unofficial way, you start becoming a, a better and more sensitive listener to the people around you. It's just that I found that so fulfilling that I, I wanted to do it as a, you know, as a profession.
1: Yeah, so it was, this is kind of like a, a vocation for you, if you will this kind of thing. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Calling, feel, if you yes. want to call it that. Well, yeah, I mean, I felt called because, you know, our impulses teach us um, what we want to do, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I've i got a close friend um, who's, who stays with me, and he's, he's you know, maybe he's a, he's a bit younger than you and I, and he was confused about what he wants to do with his life. And I just kept trying to impress on him. You, know, you need to go out and try things because when you actually try things, then you'll get some information on what works for you and what doesn't. You can't actually figure out things in your head. That are empirical in nature, so like I really gave him a bit of encouragement. I, I looked at all the courses that he wanted to do, and we 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 got um you know we just wrote down everything that he might want to do on a piece of paper and got dates. And I kind of gave him a bit of encouragement to choose something out of them to do. And you know he went and enrolled on a in a cookery course and and uh, like he's so fulfilled doing that now and you know it was the really the same way for me I guess I want to help people and I was empathetic in a sense but my empathy was a bit of a a bird without wings because I didn't know how to empathize effectively in a way that was therapeutic as soon as I um, stumbled onto these techniques it completely changed the way that I related to people because if if someone was in distress, I wouldn't try and make their distress go away or give them a quick fix. I would, you know, be present with them. And as soon as I noticed that that was an amazing way to help people heal, like my need to blab and give advice to people just very, very quickly diminished. And I, I realized that, you know, giving a certain space to people helps them process their own pain. And that's not just a technique that, um you need to be a therapist or a life coach to practice. I re- recommend it to everyone um, in a relationship with everyone. You know, if someone's distressed, hold back on giving advice. Just try and identify the core of what they're trying to communicate to you and reflect it back to them in their own words. So such and such happens. And yeah, it sounds like that, that sounds like that would be really upsetting. And that, and that's an invitation for people to actually, um, you know, to heal, to 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 use the conversation to heal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, would you say like I don't know
1: about you, but it kind of sounds like from maybe some of the things you're saying that um, often you deal with people who are maybe experiencing some kind of anxiety. Um, and I think a lot of people do at certain points of their life. I mean, I know I did. Um, you know if you think to Jean-Paul Sartre he called it the end you know, of the existential mm. sort of nausea kind yeah. of thing yeah. um, and I got that as well the way I sort of dealt with it was a kind of um I sort of I'd been brought up like kind of Catholic and stuff and it wasn't really doing it for me and mm. then I kind of jumped into sort of you know sort of Eastern religious mm-hmm. literature and things like that and sort of Eastern religious practice Um, Then I found myself sort of moving in sort of uh, more sort of a cult-based know, I've talked about this before. It's Mm. it's no revelation to anyone. Um, And that's how I sort of, you know, worked with my stuff. Because I think, I don't know, from my experience when I was in, say, different esoteric groups, I mean, I've already spoke about the fact that I was in the, the OTO before the... Ordo Templi Orientis, not now and no, they don't run the world. For anyone who wants to send me those emails again, (sighs) (laughs) I've had those emails. Um, Yeah, so like, but what I found there wasn't, you know, people running the world. It was people who were genuine. They were genuinely looking for something, and I think a lot. I think a lot of the people I talked to were experiencing a kind of, kind of anxiety about life, about you know, about purpose and about meaning. Um, and that's kind of where I where I found a sort of framework to move forward when I was having those kind of you know problems myself.
0: And and how have you found your way of, of dealing with difficulties that come up these days? You know, where do you think you're at in your healing process?
1: Um, oh, I don't know. You know, you call it. I don't know it's interesting. It's a process. I suppose everything's always going to be a process. I mean, I don't really. I, It's hard to say where I'm at in a way. Um, I mean, there's things like I used to, you know, over-worry and over-analyze everything. And for me, it was, I mean, now it's been popularized by, say, Eckhart Tolle and Mm. the New Age movement, this Mm. whole, you know, focusing on now. Because, you know, when you really look at it, past and future are just abstractions. But by the time someone had, you know, someone actually that I worked with had bought me that Eckhart Tolle book, The Power of Now, And I read it and I thought, well, fine, it's nice that he's packaging it in this way for people. It's a bit passive for me. Right. But it's you can find that stuff everywhere. I mean, that's not... He didn't come up with that. I mean, you can go way back into Buddhism, Taoism, and, you know, even read certain Hindu texts, and you can find the same sort of notion and idea. For me, probably that was my biggest revelation and I think it's fair enough to say that to someone. It's fair enough to go, to go up to someone and go, you know, the past and the future are just abstractions. Only now really matters. So you should focus on that. Most people, you know, even if they do understand that intellectually, just in my experience, I'm just talking about, you know, your regular person has not really worked on themselves. You can understand that on an intellectual level and that's fine. But I understood it for a long time on an intellectual level, but I didn't feel it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why I was feeling such a disconnect, because I thought, how am I not understanding this? And it wasn't until I actually started to feel it, if you know what Mm -hmm. I mean, instead of just on an intellectual level, you know, in an actual, in a, I hate using the phrase deeper level, you know, because it sounds so vague. But, Can you uh, say
0: maybe, you know, an experiential level, like yeah. a, a first-hand experience? You know, there's a difference mm-hmm. between me taking a bite of this apple and saying, hey, Dan, you know, this is a really tasty apple, and you actually tasting the apple and know, knowing it. And, you know, what, what I teach is, for the main part, not intellectual information. It's stuff that people need to practice. Mm. So when you say a deeper level, do you mean... Uh, it's practice to get it to get a first hand experience because if I say something you don 't know if it 's true or not, you have to actually go out and try it and mm-hmm. see the results, and then you will know whether it 's true. so when you say you've got it on a deeper level, is that sort of what you mean like you 've had an experience of it so you can ha- build a frame of reference around mm-hmm. that
1: yeah no absolutely yeah absolutely right um because you know and we will be doing a, a show on this at some point um with someone, but I don't like to <laughs> like to bring it up. I don't like to preempt the shows too quickly. But um, I got interested in the notion of sort of scientific illuminism. Mm-hmm. You know this idea, like it's basically what you're saying, is experiential. You know, it's so it's the idea of taking these sort of I mean, whatever works for you in terms of, you know, like a spiritual practice, but like keeping a diary and seeing what happens and if nothing happens, then doing something else. Really? You know, the, the quote that I always go back to, I think I mentioned it even earlier, <laughs> even though we're not long into the show, was the, you know, the Alistair Crowley one where he said, each man must cut his own way through the jungle. And I know you can see that's, that as a rehash of, you know, sort of older Buddhistic ideas, but, um yeah, it's definitely. It's an. That's what I kind of mean by a deeper level, more of an experiential thing. And sometimes I find that harder to communicate to someone who's not had the same experience Because it's like you say, I mean, you could be a scientist and you could read up about a banana And, you know, what the texture of banana is, what it's going to taste like, what it's going to look like and everything But until you've actually eaten that banana, you can never say you've experienced it You can only understand it on one level and not on a, you know, like a kind of complete level, if you know what I mean
0: Right on, and you know, you, you you when you speak to those people who have some experience of it, you've got a common language. You know, you you can make frames of reference. If you make if you use a metaphor to get a point across, they'll understand the metaphor because they've got a similar experience. Whereas you know, someone who's outside of the the loop might not understand it. So yeah, for for myself, I I meditate regularly, but. I didn't always have a meditation practice and it didn't always do it for me. Do you know what I mean? Even though I was trying to heal, it wasn't suitable for where I was at in my life. And, you know, probably a lot of people I work with might find something similar. Then I have other um, clients who, you know, mindfulness uh, students or mindfulness tutors. um, So everyone's good at different stuff and there's many ways to heal, what I would say is, you know, and a seed needs a nurturing environment to grow. And because, as I said, you know, we didn't always get the quality of attention um, that we needed when we were growing up. But um, that's part of the needs of the human organism. You know, curiosity um, and attention and warmth and what, what, supposing that everyone's deficient in that, I guess you could say that what I'm doing is giving them like a, a vitamin supplement, a very high dosage of, you know, that, um, that which they, they may have been deficient in in the past. And that, that, that facilitates that the seed growing because you know a lot of seeds you know you, you could put them in in the freezer for hundreds of years and you could still plant them and they'd still grow there's a lot of potential there and we all can use some help actualizing actualizing our our potential and that's 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 all all my space really is it, it's an incubator and over the over the years I've learned to be be very good at, at what I do mm-hmm
1: and it's interesting because, you know, like the two of being sort of Scottish, you know, like, I don't know if you find this, but sometimes I find in my sort of um, day-to-day life, you know, whereas maybe sometimes I'll, uh, I mean, sometimes if you start talking about these kind of things, you know, some people kind of look at you as if you're a bit mental, you know, as if you've sort of strolled off the deep end a little bit. I don't know if it's just the way that I come across to people, because mm. that's possible, but like, you know... I, I, I find this kind of thing strange because I know I'm coming from a sort of religious angle but I kind of think it's sort of related in a way because when I read sort of New Age material, when I read self-help material, when I read old religious material, you know, even when I read some communication things, a lot of the times I'm seeing the same themes that are running through things. You know, and it's it's interesting. I don't know if you've kind of seen this yourself, but there seems to be similar themes that run through it, and especially this whole that is only now sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, that, I'm surprised Christianity never picked up on that, you know, because Jesus even brought that up. <laughs> but mm-hmm. You were going to say something.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I often during my practice will say to someone, how do you feel talking about it right now? when they're talking about a a past experience, because I really want them to be connected in what they're currently experiencing right now for exactly the same reason that you say, now now is the only moment. And I feel like if they don't process the emotion now, you know, if not now, then when, I want them even when they're speaking about the past to be really connected in the here and now. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that that always, that's... Like I said, that was, like, probably one of my first, sort of, biggest revelations, I suppose. Um, But what kind of... I kind of mentioned it a bit at the start, but what kind of... So what kind of things do you find that... um, I mean, do you find that people come to you more because... Do you find you get, like, people... Is it a a mixture, you know? Are you getting, like, younger people who don't know where to go in the future and older people who are at a place where they know where they've been but like it's they're not sure like they don't know whether you know to go back to a way they were before or to move forward to something
0: different if you understand what i mean yeah and i i think you know everyone can benefit from this kind of work a lot of my friends um go to go to or have been to counseling because they said you know before i met you i thought that it was you know just for people who were seriously <laughs> damaged but like um you know, you, you put out the kind of thing that it's for everyone, you know, everyone could do with some healing. So, in my work, I've got everything from sort of young people who are, who, who are very intelligent but want their um, social skills to catch up with their smarts. I've had um, everything from people who are really distressed, you know, some, you know, being molested or had serious childhood trauma. Mm-hmm and are talking about it for the first time in their lives, all the way over to, and that's more in the realms of therapy, to coaching clients who are, you know, pretty happy with the way their life's going in mer- many areas, but would like to actually actualize their potentials in other areas. And that's more like coaching, you know. Um, what I'd like to say is kind of, you know, if I like to use metaphors from nature. You mentioned the Tao, you know, and I like to use metaphors from nature because nature sort of shows us how an organism is meant to thrive. The only difference between us and the rest of nature is that we have the ability to conceptualize, which means that we can think crazy things. And and usually that when we do that, um, we, um, we, we, it's usually an adaptation, it's usually an adaptation to adverse experiences where thinking these crazy things uh, would protect us from um, being sane, in, in which case we might 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 be attacked for that. That's my opinion. So to use a, a metaphor from nature, I kind of see counselling as more like pulling up the weeds that's necessary to grow a garden and like uh, coaching more like planting some nice flowers. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thing about like, I always see our life as a garden and uh, our our relationships as gardens, and um, you, you, it's good to work on yourself, you want to weed your garden, take out the trash and improve your life, but also that can't be the only thing that you do because you'll hate your garden, you know, you fucking hate it, you <laughs> need to go out and sunbathe in the garden and stuff like that and remember to have fun, but weeding and things like that is a necessary, necessary element to having a, a beautiful garden, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, and it makes it makes a lot of sense to me because um, that's I think that's why I kind of... One of the reasons I became sort of disillusioned with sort of, so, say, mainstream religion for me was because I was, you know, everyone pretty much I knew and hung about with was of the same religious faith as me, but, like, they were all Catholic, but, like, nobody read the Bible. And, like, wow. people just went to church because... Well, I'm not saying this is true for everyone, but a lot of the people I knew, because that's what you do, you know what I mean? It's Sunday, you go to mm-hmm. church, you're supposed to, you know. But then, and then when I found that there was other philosophies that actually emphasized doing things for yourself instead, right. you know, and I'm not saying that devotion and ways can't be a, can't be a powerful thing. Um, I I'll, I'll do this a lot and I'm just going to do it again because I don't really care. Um quote Alistair Crowley that is. <laughs> because Alistair Crowley said, you know, like we if you pray long enough with your lips, I'm going to mess this up, but it's roughly if you pray long enough with your lips, you'll eventually find yourself praying with your heart. Right. Right.
0: And, so that's like a, a technique called affirmation, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like uh, myself. I like yeah. myself. I like I like myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I already. Because Sorry, I mean, how, go
1: on. Yeah, because how easy is it to? I mean, you, I find that I used to walk around mentally beating myself up all all day, but not even kind of realizing it. You know, it's like a program running around in the background. It's just there, and it was actually through meditation that I started to become aware of it because then all the noise kind of eventually got turned down, and I could see what was going on in the background. And then once I thought. Once I really became aware of this sort of background noise, if you want to put it that way, in my brain, this kind of you know we all do it, we all mentally beat ourselves up, Mm. and then once you realise that that's unnecessary and harmful, and to the extent that it could be going on, that's that was another thing for me personally that sparked a change,
0: you know. Right, right, and and how did you take that? Revelation, or that gradual noticing that you were doing an awful lot of that, and use what you'd realise productively.
1: Well, my first thought was to give myself a fucking break because, <laughs> because <laughs> like, like you deserved it. Oh well, yeah, because you know, like uh, even when uh even when I started, like you know, like uh, I used to play in bands and things, and afterwards, you know, I yeah i'd beat myself up and go no i didn't do that right i didn't do this right and then i stopped doing that and then it would just be little things you know like just daft things that would just come into your head and go oh i I made an arse of that the other day and this kind of thing and then all those little things build up so then now because i'm i feel like i'm more much more mindful than ever used to be Mm. and i'm by no means like any kind of enlightened being or anything Mm. you know not even close you know um not even in the queue but now when I feel these things coming up you know if I'm having a kind of shitty day and then I start you know my mind will go to something that happened ages ago that you know made me uncomfortable or made me feel guilty or something I'll immediately I'll qu- now I find I can quickly catch it because mm. before I would passively just let that sort of seep in and let it sort of take over but now I find right. I'm more conscious of my own thinking I'm more like I'm more likely to catch it and think, okay, instead of just letting that take over and let myself beat myself up, which seems right. ridiculous. Uh, go, well, why am I feeling this way? What's triggered this? Why? Why is all this coming up at this point? And you could even do that sitting on a train, you know.
0: Yeah. So, so in the past, when a thought like that came up, you might just sort of get involved in your own thought process and mm-hmm. that thought would lead to another thought and you'd be like oh I'm such a fucking idiot like I always do these things and I did it then and oh, and also that time and before you know it you're completely involved in that stream of thoughts mm-hmm. uh, but now if something like that comes up you'll be like oh I just like totally shamed myself there What's going on with that? Like, that was yours, you know, what, what, what does this thought process sound more like these days?
1: Um, well, it's that kind of thing. We'll say something. Just if something comes up, um, like I said, it's just that I'm I'm now aware of it. So instead of, um, it's that idea that, um, again, I think, why do I keep getting back to Sartre and things and, mm-hmm. and stuff? I don't know why. I'm, I'm bad for quoting people. But like, um it's that idea that, like, if you're, say, you're watching, like, a film or something, you know, you're completely sucked into it. Mm. But you can step back and analyze if you want to. But I started to think that... I actually found this from long walks with my dog and doing a lot of thinking, <laughs> that when I, Like, the way he, my dog, I say he, he, my dog, I'm talking about, is absorbed in life. He's that way, where it's like, being absorbed in a movie where he can't step back, he's just completely absorbed in what's going on and a lot of people that i know who are quite i hate to use the sort of mainstreamy folks if you know i mean people that don't think sort of say critically Mm -hmm. or philosophically not to put anyone down but they're kind of like that and i was like that so i was kind of sucked in so Mm -hmm. no matter what happened in my brain it was like so if something came up that i couldn't stop thinking about i didn't have any techniques i didn't even mm. like now even i find if i've got something that i can't get out of my head if i write it down
0: mm. that's one step to yeah, moving yeah for sure that's yeah, good.
1: to moving on so keep a notebook with me now um so i find that i'm less pulled in and i'm like to life that way that you might be pulled into like i said a book or something and instead of just being um Sort of caught up in everything. I find um much. I find it easier to take a step back before it gets too far because I think I've I see it with people I know as well that sometimes they beat themselves up and you know they are and it spirals and spirals and spirals when it could be caught earlier if they would be more mindful about it and if they would stop and think well I need to take a minute here because. I'm having these thoughts and there must be a reason why something must have triggered this, what's at the point of this. But I understand as well why some people don't, because I think I've heard some people have tried to explain this to some people, and I've heard some people say, to me, It's just it's it's too hard for me to think like mm-hmm. that. You know, it's too hard for me to go out and actually, you know, examine it from that perspective, you know?
0: Sure. And that's a shame because also it's, it's one of the biggest problems, which is people want a result right away. Um, whereas most things in life are processes, they're not conclusions. Um, what really happens is it's a muscle. You know, everyone knows you can't just sit down at the keyboard and play Bach um, the first time, you know, you sit down at a piano. Unless you, you know, sometimes you watch TV and there, there's a sitcom and someone sits down at a piano for the first time and they're a natural at it. That doesn't happen in real life. It's the same with, you know, your meditation practice. You do that the first few times, you're going to be bored. But the, the point is that over time, you find, oh, actually this is quite pleasant, I enjoy it. And then you want to do it before you know it, you want to do it. And it's it's people are really, I think, and this partly school to blame, you know, they're, they're in want of perfection. School teaches them um, being wrong is bad. <laughs> You're always meant to get the right answers. But most things aren't really about yes or no answers. They're not a pass fail. Mm-hmm. It's a constant course correction. Apparently, the moon lander that landed in the moon was only on course 3% of the time. It got there through constant course corrections. And that's part of the art of living, not being afraid to make mistakes, but just watching the consequences of your actions, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work and making constant course corrections. I think, you know, it's one of these uh, old monikers in business, which is if you want to succeed, you've got to double your rate of failure. And I think it's like this with this. You know, people think that they should be good at it already. Well, you know, it's it's a process. You, you need to self-examine. You need to take time. You need to be with your emotions. You can do things such as you suggest by um, writing it down. Or another thing is, you know, if you're angry or upset at someone, you can get a chair and pretend they're sitting in the chair and tell them everything that you'd like to tell them so that that's expressed and it doesn't hang out um, forever. Um, you can do it to parts of yourself. You can, you can look to a part of yourself and say, you know, you know what's going on with you? Why are you, why, why are you still bringing this up after five years? Why does it hurt so much, you know? Mm-hmm. But what you do want to do is at some level deal with the material that comes up in your consciousness. You know, we have these bodies, we have these emotions, we have these thoughts um and and you you can either ignore it or you can work with it and any situation I go into i'm always my goal is to make it a bit better than before i I was in that situation so you know if if someone uh, you can only start where you're at, whether you want to you know make a podcast or work on yourself or write your album, if you've got zero songs and, and you know, you only need no three chords on the guitar, then that's where you start, you know, you, you learn another song, uh, another chord and you write another song. Mm-hmm. If you've got six songs and you know, a Phil Symphony or- Orchestra, then, you know, you go out and find the right producer, start where you're at, you know, mm-hmm. and look at, at any moment, this is what you were talking about, being here and now. Just like, you know, the, the beginning is you don't have to like what you're experiencing, but you accept that you're experiencing that. And then you come at it from an angle of what can I do about it? And I, I promise you, you know, if, if you treat your emotional phenomena this way, you know, when you're anxious, you notice that you're getting anxious. Okay. What happens when you're anxious? Well, you breathe, um, quickly and shallow. So you go, okay, well, I'm gonna slow down my breathing, and I'm gonna breathe deeply. Okay, what else is happening when I'm anxious? Well, my mind's racing, okay. I'm gonna gradually imagine my mind slowing down and slowing down. And now instead of thinking, oh, I shouldn't be anxious, oh, I shouldn't be anxious, you accept, I am anxious. I am, I'm anxious. Now what am I gonna do with that? And it's um, a much more blissful way to live because you can work with wherever you're at. You can work with your environment and work with your inner phenomena to get into the environmental state and also the inner state that you want to be in. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's something. Yeah, I think I would totally agree with that. And I don't know about you, um, about like, I don't know like about your experience of growing up or whatever, Um, but for me, I found that um, the sort of, Older people I kind of know, there's more of this sort of, I don't know, this sort of hard-faced, let's-just-get-on-with-it sort of deeply entrenched attitude, you know, instead of like, you know, know, I know a lot of kind of, you know, relatives and people I know, I work with and whatnot who are kind of, you know, they're just that's their way and you just get on with it and you don't get into all this fruity stuff, you know, that's just garbage, you just deal with it and you, you man up and all this kind of nonsense. But in my experience particularly, you know, I can only speak from my experience here being in Glasgow, but my experience with younger people is that to an extent, I think that's starting to change that old attitude of we just get on with it and, you know, that's it. I mean, I don't know, do you think that's an attitude that's starting to change or is that an attitude that you've even experienced?
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly that's what I found. I think that it, it's partly generational. And it's partly that, you know, if you're a profound person, if you're a deep thinker, that's not an option to you. You're not wired up like that. You can't just get on with that. Part of the way that you love to live is to examine life and learn from it. You know, that, that's kind of part of who you are. Like Even if I wanted to give up on this journey of self-knowledge, I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to work uh, um, uh, even a decent-paying job in an office or something like that and turn off. Um, So I think there was an element of need um, in the old days when people didn't have as much wealth as we had. You couldn't really examine your life if you had to work a crap job to feed your family um, because then you wouldn't want to do it. You couldn't really examine your job. You couldn't really examine your role if, if you were meant to go out and fight a war and you were a conscript. And gradually, as we've gained more material wealth, I think more and more people have time to, um, to really examine life and so in that way it's generational and another thing is I just think that because of the internet and things young people are exposed to more ideas and they're more critical and, and you know there was time you had three television channels and there was a time before that you had even less and the, ex- the views that you were likely to be exposed to were mainstream views and um, since you mentioned a couple of existentialists you know I remember reading um which one was it it was Nietzsche um the uh, the genealogy of morals and in the introduction, which is beautifully written um, uh, my probably my favorite bit of the book, which isn't really a compliment well <laughs> uh, but, but um just he just talks about you know he met three people in his life that really 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 changed his opinion and he he was profound you know in that. In that sense, he was way ahead of his time. He was he was a insightful thinker, and he would have had to go very far away to actually meet the people whose papers or books he he read and thought, "Damn, I never really saw it that way. That is profound." Where you know now you can listening to you can listen to Greening Out podcast, you can look at whatever avenues you want, and get access to views that. Are just not mainstream and, and 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 analyze them, and you know you don't need to be a university professor with access to the peer reviewed studies or or um, the library to get access to good information
1: yeah absolutely i mean i I really enjoy philosophy and um in a big way and I even and i enjoy it even to like the sort of you know the the logic side of it and things like that but I mean, sometimes, like, with some of the modern Western stuff, From, I mean, I'm no expert, you know, and I certainly don't have any degree in it or anything like that, but sometimes you, for lack of a better term, it seems you get caught up in this intellectual wanking sometimes, if you know what I mean, it just seems people go around in circles Um and that kind of frustrates me sometimes about the sort of Western tradition of philosophy,
0: if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I really agree. And I, I like to consider maybe some of what I do applied philosophy. But most of what I do with people is help them process their experience, first and foremost. I do teach sometimes, especially when it comes to helping people improve their communication skills and things like that, helping them improve the relationships, or when I kind of coach other coaches. But again, even then, that stuff's lived, you know, you really need to get in there and try these things out. There's, You were talking about the Eastern traditions, and there's a view in yoga, which is that you're meant to do 5 or 10% learning and 90 or 95% application you know, it's really important to apply what you learn because then you're not a brain being carried around by this body, not really engaged in the in the process of life. And I think a lot of us who are intelligent maybe fell into that trap for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I say to some people, you know, I'd rather you learn two techniques and practice them than you learn 20 techniques and, and didn't practice any. And mm-hmm. um, you know, it's exactly as you said before, try things out, get some experience, firsthand experience, see if they work or not, and then if they don't work for you, you know, try something else, because not everyone's the same. Just because it works for me doesn't mean it'll work for you.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's something I've always tried to, like, emphasise as well, Anytime I think about anything like this, because... I do think that, um, spirituality is a subjective thing, you know, and like I said, the way it was kind of, the way, I, I hate to even call it spirituality, the way religion was given to me. <laughs> mm. I don't want to bring it to that because I do think these things are interconnected. Um, I really do. I think, like, um, from my readings of, you know, religion, psychology, you know, different spiritual practices, philosophy, you know, there's, there's all these themes that run through, they all connect in different ways um and it's like oh, i think it was neil kramer before he said you can't look at something just from your own what he called your own shitty little discipline right. you know it, it's like you have to try and see things from different angles you know you can't just say well i'm an occultist and i see everything this way or i'm a physicist and i see the whole world this way there is different views to take in and you do see things um you, you see certain ideas sort of moving in each other And I find that interesting. I I really find modern physics interesting as well, you know, and especially, well, we'll get way too off on some mad tangents here. Mm. (laughs) We'll probably go off the deep end if we keep going, but (laughs) is this one of the reasons why, like, so we're talking about people who are kind of, we said, you know, we've experienced well, I have myself experienced a kind of existential sort of angst and I know other mm. people who have a kind of nausea. And I don't know if you've seen it this way. I mean, do you work with a lot of people who are kind of intelligent, sort of sensitive people, but because of like they have this and they obviously they know that something they know there's something to be done or that something's not right. Um but for whatever reason their first impulse is to like to run straight towards like drugs you know and alcohol and stuff Mm. like that and i'm not saying that i'm completely Mm -mm. against drugs and alcohol because i'm not but like you know that's been a lot of my experience because a lot of the people i know who have had say substance abuse problems have been very intelligent and sensitive people right you know and sometimes and sometimes yeah it seems like instead of you know, and look, well, lots of fun. us have been different places in our lives, right? But it seems like that's an easier way for a lot of people to turn the volume down, and you know, instead right. of going in there. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And um, yeah, God, I've seen... I, I mean, you know, I come from Scotland as well. I come from Glasgow as well, although I live in Edinburgh now. Mm. Um, I've seen a lot of that... Um, and, you know, also with people, that I think it's quite a shame because, you know, maybe when I first met them, they were much less that way. Um, it seems when, it's, when you're going through a bad place, the work seems hard. And it also seems like it's not certain if it's going to pay off. Mm-hmm. It's back to coming back to results. You know, you need to measure the success of a practice by your results. If you get something out of it, then you know firsthand that it's good for you. Mm-hmm. But when you've not had any results, then it's easy to think it's hopeless. And, you know, we all get into that stage sometimes where we go, you know, whatever problem that you're having at the time seems insurmountable. And you're like, oh, I fucking hate my life. Like, uh, this has always been the case. And,. Um, it's easy to, it's easy to lose hope and some people will turn to alcohol or other drugs to self-medicate. Um, I, I have worked with people with those kinds of, of issues. Um, it's not been the majority of my work. Most of the people that I've worked with, my good fortune, um, you know, they're extremely highly motivated, um, and, uh, I, I'm really lucky in that respect. I think um, they, you know they see see taking me on as a helper, as part as a symbol of them trying to trying to um, achieve excellence and 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 their their self work and um, do things that they can't necessarily do alone. You know, gain gain access to a relationship that exists entirely to to help them. Um, so. Sorry, I think your question, I got lost in your question. I'm sorry that people turn to narcotics to dull the pain, but I can understand why, because we don't live in a very emotionally literate society. I mean, Mm -hmm. whenever people are growing up, you know, you, you experience an emotion that's not appropriate, sorry, not convenient to the adults around you. You know, they'll basically tell you to hide it, can it, or stop being cheeky or acting up mm-hmm. they don't understand that emotions or discharges just like sweat or bowel movements you know they need to be acknowledged and processed so that they don't get in the way mm-hmm. and a very simple way to do that you know is is to offer a good ear for someone listen out to what they're feeling and identify it for them oh I can see why that would be really disillusioning for you well, all of a sudden yeah it does you know yeah it is actually because you know Really relate to people and just show that you understand. That's one way to help, help people around you process emotions. And um, now, the, the society, you know, you go, uh, you have these problems, you go to the NHS and they're, they're going to try and fob you off with pills. Or they'll give you six sessions of CBT and see you later, you know. Mm -hmm. They're not interested Mm -hmm. in giving you access to a therapist because that that takes a long time. And um, they can't guarantee results either from it because it's not just about the therapist, it's about the client as well. You need a great therapist and you also need a great client if, 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 if you want the client to really, really advance so... The thing is, if there's anything to impress, like I've got lots of videos on one of my YouTube channels on improving your communication skills. They will help you improve your relationships. You know, anyone can spare the time to check out everything in my channel. It will only take a few hours of your time and it can potentially help you um, because these are not just skills for therapists and coaches. These are skills for everyone because everyone is in relationships with people and um, you know, you can help other people process their pain quicker, and also you can create the kind of relationships in your life where the people around you have the skills and the warmth and curiosity to help you process your pain quicker as well. And by doing that, by being an example of that, we we make a stand in our personal lives for a better world. mm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree absolutely, um, and that's kind of yeah, that's how I look at it myself actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how you, I like how you you don't like I like how you don't say like I am a teacher, I am a guru. Mm-hmm. You know, I like how you say that you're a facilitator, you're a helper, mm-hmm. you're here to help people achieve their own potential. You know, because you know you know yourself when yeah. you ever hear guru, you think
0: megalomaniac, yeah. like, sociopath. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
1: and
0: I learned. I I, I learned from all my clients, how to be a better helper, when I started, I did a lot of stuff for free um, to sharpen up my skills and everything was like, a oh, revelation after revelation, every time I, I, I got better at doing what I do and I always ask for feedback and, and you know, if there's any, let everyone know that there's a, if there's anything I can do better as a helper and um, that they, you know, to let me know and I'll, I'll try and um, adjust my approach. Luckily, over the years, I've learned lots of different approaches and I've got a pretty good intuition for picking the right approach for the right situation. But most importantly, I know that I'm not 100% healed yet. Who is? I still go on personal development workshops and things like that. I still get help. You know, I still get coaching. I'm not in therapy just now. Um, it's very likely that at some time in the future I'll I'll be in therapy again if I think that would benefit me. Uh, there's and I am an advert for seeking help because I seek help. You know I love getting help. One of the hardest wounds for me to one I remember. You know four or five years of identifying the wound in me, which was a reluctance to ask for help, mm-hmm. and you know noticing that and over the course of years uh, becoming more and more happy asking for help I love and, and, and I love getting help and even even just in small ways so yeah. so there's no shame in it and the the, the faster that we can build a, a society that's really comfortable with the fact that we can all use some help and um, the better because then people will stop thinking oh you know I'm not damaged enough to get help or oh that's kind of a bit weird and out there or, well, oh, I don't want to think about this too deeply because they know that they can get the kind of support that they need if they're willing to take the first step.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? Sometimes it is just getting someone to take that first step. I know for me it took a long time. You know, you get stuck in the old denial.
0: Right. Um, but, Which isn't just the river in Egypt. Uh-huh, I was uh-huh.
1: thinking that as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's well done. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the
1: same thing. Um <clears throat> No, it's totally true. Um this this hour has gone by fast. Um well, uh, with loads I've still got pages and notes, but um one of the things I did want to say because we did mention sort of drugs there, um and I'd like to just get your idea of like so we talked about how some people might turn to drugs because of the anxiety and things that will really be turn the volume down or it'll entertain them a bit depending on you know what they're taking or make them feel slightly better for a while but do, don't you think that there's um well not don't you think that's the wrong way do you think that there's like a there's a benefit to certain say shall we say entheogenic <laughs> substances used at you know in the right kind of setting for the right kind of purpose I'm thinking of things like, you know, ayahuasca and even like mushrooms and even like I don't know, cannabis but used, you know, in mm. in the right way as opposed used as opposed to abused. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
0: Um well, I don't know if I'm if I'm gonna come out the closet as uh, <laughs> having yeah, having ingested some of these um you, don't, you could past. stay in as
1: many closets as you like, I don't mind.
0: But, um, <laughs> I would say that in the right context um, with the right intention mm-hmm. um, that you can experience useful experiences on substance if you take them responsibly. I also would disclaimer that I would not recommend that anyone do these substances. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously a choice that each person must make on their own and yeah. um, i i have drunk the ayahuasca um and what i've experienced on that was um processing all sorts of old fears and things like that and also greater clarity and insight into the day-to-day things and um, of life and i i could like write down what i learned and then take it back to a sober state of mind um, where I, I could maybe try and integrate it into my experience of day-to-day life and use my teachings to benefit me and the people around me. I found that um, very beneficial. And um, When I was about maybe 18, I did mushrooms quite mm-hmm. a few times and um, also looking for some kind of insight. Um, but, um, I think I was a bit young to, to fully know how to, to make use of an experience like that. And <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, so, um, I've had profound experiences. I don't know if, like, you know, um, what Sam Harris says is about meditative states, you know, if they just reveal things about your own inner environment or if any of the spiritual stuff that, um, goes on with those is objectively true. I mean, what I would say is I've never learned anything on a substance that couldn't potentially be my, my subconscious talking, but I, I would be open-minded to people saying, well, you know, I uh, I figured this out and then I no way of knowing that and then I went and... Um, uh, spoke to someone else and it was all true, you know. I, 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 I don't know if that's proven or not. I, do you know what I mean? I like to, to work with what's proven. But certainly, you know, I'm agnostic in all things and I, I'm always looking, um for a more accurate worldview. So, um, yeah, I think that I don't really consider ayahuasca a drug. The active ingredient in it is native to the brain. So, you could say that it's a supplement or you could say that it's, um, you know, a mind-altering substance, but um, it's a plan, you know, it's a plan and and you can't take it recreationally. If you try to take it recreationally, you'll probably have a really bad time. No. Um, and I just please don't order some from the internet and start kicking it up in your house. If you're yeah. going to do it, find find people who really know what they're up to and have been and have done it for for years, and that can have facilitation for you.
1: I can't remember who said it. I think it was in I think it was in the documentary um, DMT: The Spirit Molecule. But someone described DMT as like a sort of uh, what was it like a sort of like a psychological bungee jump or a psychedelic bungee jump or something like that because it like sort of one of those things that takes you out of your brain, but like. Um, My experience with sort of, you know, I'm not going to go into a big catalogue of drugs Mm. that I've taken in my life, but my experience of sort of entheogenic sort of substances were that um, they really, for me, brought out what was going on inside. And I'm not saying that's the best way to do it, because Mm -hmm. it can be a brutal way to face something. There can be much gentler ways to go about it. And like you said, I mean ayahuasca is different than dmt because well it's not it's the same thing but like if you've got like dmt if you order dmt of someone on the street here for example as opposed to like going to a retreat somewhere like in south america it's a whole different thing if you get some dmt here it's it's uh knock you into another planet for a while and then bring you back and then whoa that was fucking crazy wasn't it what a good time we had but whereas Mm. From my understanding of ayahuasca shall we call it that mm. my understanding of ayahuasca is that it takes you up more gently and it brings you back down more gently right. it's not the sudden sharp you know boom where the fuck am i you know somehow i'm not in my body anymore but like i do agree with you though that it's not necessarily true that you have to you know take some sort of entheogenic substance to experience states like that because Mm. i've experienced different kind of states through you know ah fuck it, i'll just say it through things like um not just meditation but even things like you know enochian vision magic which goes Mm. you know way 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 back hundreds of Mm. years and you could say it's psychological phenomenon or whatever but like doing these sort of weird scrying exercises that i did in a group of people Mm. There was things in that that happened and sort of shared things that we'd all wrote down that I, uh, for the life of me, can't explain. But like Mm. I said, I don't think you necessarily have to. And I would agree with you that you have to be careful because you either have to be in a certain frame of mind to take a certain type of entheogenic substance. Or if you're not in that frame of mind, you have to be around people who are experienced in dealing Mm. with what that does to the brain. Otherwise, you risk potentially, you know, completely messing yourself up in a big way and actually setting yourself back if you're yeah. not careful.
0: And you know, also don't expect go in there expecting it to clear up your depression that you've suffered no. with your whole life or your PTSD just like that. Some people say it has, you know, they, they've cured them of addiction. I, 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 but that was probably over the course of a retreat, you know, Mm -hmm. if you've got a lifelong difficulty, whether it's depression or anxiety or something like that, and see if you can, you know, get some appropriate help. That doesn't mean that you can't also try the ayahuasca, but going to a retreat and expecting, oh, in three days, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be cured of my depression. I'll be fixed. (laughs) That's probably not going to happen. Yeah. You know, um, you, it's it's like everything else that we've talked about. It's a practice, you know. The, the I've I've done ayahuasca a number of times. Um, that's me out the closet, and I can get more. I, can <laughs> I saw get all those more, skeletons falling out. I can get more usefulness out of it now mm-hmm. because I'm more experienced with it than you know the first time I did it, and I hope yeah. that it would would solve all my problems like a lot of people do. It's a practice. The more experienced you are, you need to know the ground, you know, you need to go out into that forest that is your unconscious in that state and take a look around. And the first time you go for a wander, you're not really gonna map the whole forest. You know what I mean? Yeah. These are practices too. It takes time to learn how to navigate the medicine and, you know, the 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 more you dedicate to doing that, um then the more useful you find that state, just as people come to me for 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 therapy and, you know, find after six or seven weeks, they're getting even more out of it, and they can't believe it. They think, oh, I thought I'd... I thought I'd um, I'm just so glad that it's still helpful because I thought we'd get most of the important stuff out earlier on, but actually what's happened is they've learned to use the space better. We both have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that so, makes, so it makes sense. Yeah, it does, yeah,
1: that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, this is actually, I had so much more to talk about, but we've, <laughs> we've actually just gone over an hour already. Yeah, um, we can
0: maybe, maybe do another
1: one sometime. No, absolutely, because we've got way more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But um, why don't you tell us then um, where people can find you online and what kind of stuff you're doing just now?
0: Right. Well, the best place to find me online right now is um, youtube.com forward slash enrichyourlife1 for free self-help videos. And, you know, I, I know this is a libertarian podcast, so I just want to say like a little bit about my... Views libertarian as, ethos, but please go on. We're interested. <laughs> oh, libertarian ethos. Okay, good.
1: I just like um, to. I just like to put it that way because, like, we approach everything from you know Katie and I's libertarian standpoint, but we like to investigate things that are just beyond talking about the non-aggression principle every week because that bores the fucking arse off me and everyone. Yeah, else. of
0: course, and, <laughs> and it should bore the fucking arse off people because you know there's always something new to learn, and there's no point treading. The same ground. Precisely that. Um that's my ethos. Well, I'd rather say voluntarist, because it's the apolitical term in Mm -hmm. my view. You know, voluntarism is an ethical philosophy, whereas libertarianism is a political philosophy. Mm -hmm. If you want to change the world, put your attention where you have the most power, and that's on yourself first. If you are in a state where you want to give something to the world, but you're in no fit state to do it yourself, whether you're a procrastinator or you're anxious or you're tense or whatever it is, you know, that needs to be dealt with first. Heal that. Focus on yourself. As a consequence of that, you will see massive results in your own life, in the way that you feel about yourself. And that cannot help but have a knock-on effect on the world. It just cannot help it. The skills that you will develop must necessarily be useful to other people and you'll be um, more self-actualized than if you don't do the work. Also, I just thought I'd mention, just occurred to me now, Mm -hmm. if anyone gets in touch with me from having listened on the podcast, I'd I'd be happy to arrange a a free consultation for them. If, If someone listened to this and thinks, and listened all the way to the end and think they really re- resonate with me, then thank you for listening. And, yeah, it would be my pleasure to to um, offer you a free consultation.
1: That's excellent. That's really cool, actually. So definitely, definitely take Anthony up on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, if you're cool with it, yeah, we've got so much. We would do other shows in the future because there's so much more. I, I would love to. that yeah <laughs> that'd be excellent well anthony thanks so much for coming on and sharing your time with us uh,
0: thank you so much for inviting me on it it's been a real pleasure getting to know you better as well dan and i hope that i get to hear how your, your audience found this edition
1: oh no absolutely so yeah so <laughs> anthony this has been great thank you so much and thank you so much for listening